Hey, what matters most? It's a pretty big question, isn't it? What matters most? And I could stand up here and list all the things to you that I believe matter most to me. And I'm sure you could do the same, like if we had an open mic for what matters most to you. I I would suppose that um, as people came forward, we would hear a lot of the same things. But I wonder, I wonder if it really came down to it, what, what would we have to declare matters most to us? So listen to this. I looked up uh, the Barna group, George Barna and um, his, his group of research uh, people to see what they determined based on a study they did a number of years ago on what really is most important to people. And so some of it won't surprise you, but maybe the order will. Um, and, and I suppose if, if you took a, um, a segment of our church believing that as it relates to the church and, and polled us that we would have some of the very same answers as what the world would have to provide. But here's what they found. They found that number one, the single most important thing to 51% of the U.S. population is family. Now, that changes dependent on your age, they found. People with children under the age of 18, of that 51% that believe family is the most important thing, um, people who have children under the age of 18, 74% believe that family is the single most important thing, the thing that matters most to them. Now, I'm hopeful that this is an expression of the maturity of the individual, but what they also found is that the, in, the people over the age of 60, the percentage drops considerably as those who consider family to be the most important thing. So the, of the 51% of the U.S. population, those that are over 60 in that percentage, only 36% believe that family is the most important thing. And so, as it relates to the church, I would really hope that that would be an actual process that we would all all walk through, understanding that there are more important things in life than our family. Jesus even says so himself. The number two, um, most, what matters most to people is actually their faith. 16% would declare their faith. That's any faith, but they believe faith is most important. So that comes in second, with 16%. Third, 7% of those polled believe that their health is the most important thing. Number four, lifestyle, the lifestyle that they would choose to live and be able to maintain, 5% believe that that's the most important thing, that's what matters the most. There were three that were tied for fifth, career, these kind of all go together, career, money, and success, because all too often we determine success based on how much money we bring in, based on the career path that we have, excuse me, chosen. Career, money, and success, 3%, 3% believe that, and then we come down to um, the number six. Uh, We have three tied for the sixth position on what matters most, friends, leisure, and success. Only 1% would put that at the top of the list of what matters the most. Listen to this. Faith faith versus other priorities. Of the 59% who declare to be full-time servants of God, that declare, 59% who declare that they are full-time servants of God, only 25% believe that their faith is what matters the most. So their relationship with Christ Things start falling apart for me because that one makes no sense to me being a Christian. How you could say, 
I am a servant of God, yet my faith doesn't matter to me the most in my life. And it gets even crazier to understand when you consider, it's almost, I'd call it faith versus faith. 66% of everyone in the United States would call themselves to be deeply spiritual, okay? That doesn't necessarily mean that you are a Christian and you are deeply spiritual in your Christian faith. It's any, it's any place where a person would place their faith, they believe that, being, that they are a deeply spiritual person. But listen to this. This is disturbing. Of those, of that 66%, There is a percentage that believes the most important purpose of your life is to love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor, neighbor as yourself. Of those, only 23% that believe in the greatest commandment, only 23% believe that their relationship with Christ is the single most important thing in life. So as I lay those statistics out for you, I wonder what you start to wrestle with. What, what would my life reveal is the thing that matters the most? So here's your challenge as, a, as you wrestle over what, the, what that might be. I would suggest this, that God, according to King Solomon, has placed in the hearts of every individual this, this eternal size hole that only he can fill. And we spend our time pursuing what we believe will fill that spot the most effectively. So, what matters most is where you will find real, everlasting satisfaction and completion. It's where you're going to find real, everlasting satisfaction and completion. What should matter the most, I believe, the majority of us in here would say and resound, is my personal relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. We believe that to be most important. That we accept the truth, not only what Jesus did on the cross for us, yes, we receive that to be true, but we have determined the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so these other things like family and friends and career and all of that other stuff, we work over the course of the rest of our relationship with Jesus Christ, permitting him to be Lord of our lives. We give him permission to start removing those things from our lives and the significance and importance that we place on them. And we entrust him to bring us right priorities in the right order. I believe we would all say that. You know what's really interesting um, I've had, I had a number of discussions with my mother um, last year, and one of the things that I had a discussion with her about was this. When I, I wasn't but five years old, I know because I can determine based on where we lived. I remember, so I must have been four or whatever, when I can remember, I remember asking her this question, and I praise God for her responses. I said, Mom, who would you choose to go to heaven and be with Jesus, you or me? And you would expect mom is going to be very careful in her response. And so she was. She said, Todd, I would choose for me to go and be with Jesus. So I thought, okay, I'm supposing in a marriage relationship, she would love, she would love her husband more than she would love her child. So I went further. And I said, it's amazing the stuff the Lord brings back to you even before the age of five. And he said, and I said, mom, okay, so 
if not me, would, between you and daddy, my dad, who would you choose to go and be with Jesus? And she said, I would choose for me, she says, to go and be with Jesus. I wouldn't say that was perplexing to me, but as time moved along, it began to make more and more and more sense to me. She was declaring to me at even a young age, in her very straightforward way, that the single most important thing that should be for anyone is their relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as we spend time, as you think about that list of things that people consider to be important, here's what I know and here's what you know too. I believe that most of us in here would say relationship with Jesus Christ, but there are so many things that distract us from going and sitting at the feet of Jesus and simply listening to him. Where do you find your real, everlasting, and satisfying completion? Where do you fill that hole that God has placed in your heart? Today, we're going to be looking at an account where Jesus enters into the home of a woman named Mary, or excuse me, Martha, and Mary is there, and we're going to spend some time watching the interaction between Jesus and Martha in particular, but also Jesus and Mary. We're going to see, we're going to see a woman named Martha absolutely distracted, even with the good thing called serving. She's distracted by her service. And in her distraction, she finds herself being anxious and troubled by many things, Jesus declares. And then you see Mary sitting over there at the feet of Jesus, simply listening to what he has to say. And he declares to Mary, hey, or Moses, Moses? he declares to, he's long gone. He declares to Martha, your sister has chosen the right thing. And it cannot and will not be taken from her. Praise God. The moment we choose Jesus, that can never be taken from us. So uh, turn now to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42 is what we're going to be looking at. And we're going to read it together. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. And you're going, to see, you're going to see throughout the course of this that I'm very much Martha. And I was asked beforehand, like just a few minutes ago, why did you choose this message? Why did you choose? Like encounters with Jesus, it's really pastor's choice. Encounters with Jesus. Why did you choose Mary and Martha and Mary? I don't know. I didn't know until this morning. But like right now the Martha's coming out of me because there's typically a countdown clock up there. And being Martha and wanting all my ducks in a row and having everything in its right place before I can actually go to the feet of Jesus, that's one of the things I count on. So listen, as I work toward being Mary, and it was prayed for me this morning that I would be more like Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus, if we go like 20 minutes over, (laughs) yeah, yeah, that makes my heart palpitate. For real. I mean that for real. All right, Luke 10, 38 to 42. You ready? Here we go. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she sat and, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the feet 
at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered Martha, or the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, Mary and Martha had a brother named Lazarus, whom if you spend any time in the Gospels, you know Jesus actually, excuse me, raised him from the dead. Now, I didn't grow up with sisters. I had two brothers, and I know the squabbles we had. I know what I thought of me. I know what they thought of me. I know what I thought of them. But here's, I I would love in this moment, we read a passage like this, and we tend to assign good to someone and bad to someone instantly. Well, I can tell you there's good to Mary and there's good to Martha. There's bad to Mary and there's bad to Martha. But I would love to have been Lazarus when Jesus was welcomed into the room. We don't know if the scripture isn't clear on whether or not he was, he just dropped by or if it was planned. Here's what we know. Jesus shows up at the door and he walks in, he sits down, Mary chooses a spot at his feet And Martha is scrambling around, serving, distracted by much serving. Much is a very key word, much serving. Serving is not wrong, but this is what she was distracted by. And so I wonder what Lazarus, his experience was like as he watched his sister that he knew was always frantic with making sure all the dust bunnies were out of the corner, that Jesus' pillow would be fluffed, fluffed absolutely perfectly, that the bread was going to be baked exactly the right way. Lazarus knew his sister, and he probably knew what she was thinking as she was frantically getting the house in order, in order to probably, likely, if you are Martha-like, like I am, making sure everything is in, is in order so that she actually presents well. I want you to think well of me. So I see Lazarus sitting there right now, thinking through what is actually going through Martha's head. And I bet the thoughts toward Mary were not pleasant. I bet they weren't pleasant. And then Lazarus, I wonder if he's making eye contact with Jesus throughout the course of this whole thing. I wonder if there were chuckles between the two as, as, as he probably knew what Martha was thinking about Mary. That lazy woman, she never does anything. She is in my house and she won't help me to serve you, Jesus. Please tell her to do something. So then you have Mary just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I love it, I love it, that as Mary in the middle of her serving starts making demands of Jesus, starts questioning Jesus, why don't you tell her to help me? I love it. And then if if you're the other sister, you're sitting there, and then when Jesus brings that commendation, It's actually a rebuke to Martha, but she does it by commending her sister. How hard would that be? If you're Martha, to hear Jesus say, hey Mary, or Martha, your sister is choosing the right thing. If I'm Lazarus right now, I am absolutely over top, over the top, enjoying what I believe Martha is experiencing in the moment. Very entertaining 
experience, I believe, it would have been for Lazarus. Now, instead of making too much over how each one of them may have been feeling or responding, um, there are a few things that I want to make sure we we note as it relates to Martha in particular, because this really is a story about Martha being adjusted, corrected by Jesus and her serving, declaring to her, look, the best place to be is at my feet right now, listening to me. I don't want us to be too hard on her because there is another example in scripture where we see Martha actually pursuing, coming to Jesus And Mary is incapacitated by her grief as they know their brother has died, Lazarus. In John chapter 12, we see Mary, she's the one that anointed Jesus, declaring my rule. I believe in the lordship of Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 12, she says to, or or Mary is the one that anoints Jesus' feet. And then in John chapter 11, we see the account of Lazarus' death And here's what we see. Mary and Martha send a message to Jesus, knowing that Jesus has the capacity to, the power to take care of and heal Lazarus from his sickness. But Jesus declares to his disciples, look, I'm gonna, we're gonna take our time getting there because here's what I want. I want to get the glory out of this. And so we're going to do this in accordance with my plan. And if you look at verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, which is where they were, about two, miles, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Mary, to Martha and Mary, to console them considering the, concerning their brother. So, verse 20 says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. So in this account, we see in, in, uh, in Luke chapter 10, which is where we are today, we see Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And we see Martha scrambling around trying to take care of things. In John chapter 11, we see Martha in response to the, to the, to the distraught nature of her heart. We see her going to Jesus while Mary is sitting in her grief, incapacitated. We understand exactly that where Mary needs to be, but Martha is the one that chooses to go and to pursue Jesus. And Martha said to him, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, if you say the word, he will, you can heal him. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again on the resurrection of the last day. And then Jesus says this very popular passage in the life of the church. He says, Martha, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And this is what Martha says. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. Martha understood. We see in our passage today her being distracted by many things, but Martha understood the lordship of Jesus Christ. She believed in him. We see Mary in this passage 
expressing her belief in Jesus by sitting at his feet and simply listening to him. Both had vibrant and meaningful relationships with God, but in this moment today, we see Martha expressing the trueness of her heart, that there are things that need to be in order before she can actually find herself at the feet of Jesus. Lessons to learn from Martha. And so here's what they are. We know that Mary has chosen the right thing according to the passage. She's sitting and listening to Jesus. She's chosen the good portion. According to verse 42, she has chosen the good portion. We know that it cannot be taken from her. But Martha is the one that today I believe the Lord intends for us to learn from the most. All doesn't need to be in order first for Martha. Now listen, if you're Mary right now, so let's say you are Mary and you're enjoying Martha's discomfort as she is listening to Jesus. Gently rebuke her. Dare you not think, yep, I got it right. I got it right. Because here's the tendency of the Mary. Yeah, absolutely. The single most important thing is your relationship. Passionate, vibrant, meaningful relationship with Christ. Yes, you should spend time at his feet. Yes, you should listen to him. But here's the temptation, the tendency of the Mary. It's to remain sitting. Because one day, and the day is here, he's going to say to you, now listen, here I go. I want you to pick up your cross and I want you to follow me. That's the single word for Mary today. Do not remain seated because Jesus is eventually going to move on from the chair and he's going to ask you, he's going to invite you to follow him by taking up your cross and doing the things that he asks you to do. Mary, excuse me, Martha needed to have everything in order. Her focus was twisted. It was out of whack. Her focus was, dis- was distracted And these distractions in her life began to rule. And we see her fighting to satisfy those distractions. And as she fought to satisfy those distractions in her much serving, we see anxiety setting in. And we see her being troubled, Jesus says, by many things. What happens? What happens when we get to that place. Like I fully declare, I have Martha tendencies more than I have Mary tendencies. What happens to the person that must have everything in order before they can actually sit down and listen to what Jesus has for them? Brother in Christ, sister in Christ, here's what typically happens, and we can learn it from the person of Mary. Distractions. Martha, verse 40, was distracted with much serving. Once again, we're not down on serving. We should celebrate that Martha is expressing her hospitality, her gift of hospitality by welcoming Jesus in and being determined to serve him. But Martha is distracted with much serving, And this is what she did. She actually went up to Jesus. First of all, what an incredible privilege to be able to sit in that day at the feet of a teacher. 
But for, for a woman in particular to mark up, march up to Jesus and, and demand of him, that's what she did. She, she walked right up to him. And she said, Lord, do you not care? Imagine now. She marches up to Jesus to challenge him. In her pride and her boldness, she is about ready to tell Jesus how he should be Jesus. Questions his care for her. Do you not care? She knows who Jesus is. She knows what Jesus knows. She knows what Jesus is capable of. But in the moment of her frustration, she lashes out at Jesus and she says, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve? You question God. You begin to point your finger at others about your frustrations, don't you? Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all this by myself? Right now, I know Jesus is like, Martha, you're twisted up inside because of you, not because of her. So stop pointing the finger at your sister. Your, your, your anxiousness and the trouble that you continue to, to, to bring into your life is not Mary's fault, it's yours. Because you are distracted by what matters the most. I want you, Martha, to choose the right thing. So she marches up to him. She says, do you not care that my sister, she challenges Jesus She points the finger at her sister, and then she makes a demand of Jesus. Tell her to help me. In that, tell her to help me, says to me a couple of things. They must have at least had some level of relationship that would give her the confidence to march up to Jesus and demand that he do things her way. Now, As we are in relationship with Jesus Christ, we should learn right now. The more you go into relationship with Jesus Christ, the more comfortable you're going to be with him. But far be it from us that we would ever come to a place where that bold, that we would demand that Jesus do something our way. Never should it be. It should be, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done in this moment. How many of you can relate to Martha in that moment? This was a household experience. And I know some of us um, can actually go there as it relates to the household experience. Like there, there are, ask Wendy and my sons, there are Martha tendencies about me that I pray to God that he is continuing to work out. Like for, for example, how many of you are proud of how well your driveway is edged? You are probably a Martha. Ladies, that every dust bunny in every corner of your house is taken care of before the guests come over. You might be a Martha. Let's get a little more personal. If you are a dust bunny watcher, how many of you notice the dust bunnies in someone else's house? You are for sure a Martha if that's what you see. How about you can't ride in your car and not think about the sand that's on the floor mat until it's cleaned out? You're a Martha. You're a Martha. How about I can't go anywhere 
or do anything until all my kids and my home is in order. You are a Martha. These things, as we strive to put them in order, as we strive to put them in order, these things make us anxious in our hearts. And as we, as we try and satisfy that anxiety our way, because Jesus isn't doing it the way we're demanding him to, we just bring trouble upon trouble upon trouble. We break relationship. We cause our hearts to palpitate. We find ourselves eating when we shouldn't be. We find ourselves at a cabinet that we should not be going to to satisfy the answers to the anxiety in our heart. This doesn't just happen in our households. It also happens in the church, doesn't it? You come into church and you've decided, I I have this thing, this ministry that I really want to be about. This ministry I want to be about. And so, look, hey, listen, church, you should be about it too. And what happens when the church isn't about your thing? What happens when the elders don't respond to the way you think things should happen? Where do you go with that? Do you sit around and just simply think, man, they're missing it. This is the way. And it drives you. And it makes you anxious. And you begin to become troubled. You, you start pointing the finger at people in the church. You start making demands of God. Lord, they, I know that you know this is the right way. So you go to the elders, you make a request to them, and they seemingly don't hear you. And before you know it, you're all twisted up over how you should be serving in the church and what the church should be doing. If this is true of you, you probably have Martha-like tendencies in you. It can happen in your leisure. I have a friend, I have a friend who when he hunted, God, I want to get, I want to kill, I want to take home. Monday morning, first day of deer season, the longer the day would go along, roll into Tuesday, roll into Wednesday, he became more and more and more and more miserable because things weren't going the way he thought they should. If you would have saw him meticulously determine where he was going to sit, how long he was going to sit, which way he was going to face, which way the wind and the direction of was coming and going, to not end up with one, Martha-like tendencies, he would respond to God in the way he would because he didn't get in your workplace. You know, hey, I'm going to be home at 5.30. But you stay at work. You dishonor the word that you gave to your spouse because you have one more T to cross, one more I to dot before you leave the workplace. If this is you, you have Martha-like tendencies. Look, these are plaguing. These plague, for real. I stand before you right now and say, I have more Martha-like tendencies than I do Mary. Matter of fact, I had a guy text me this morning and say, I'm praying that you are a Mary today and not a Martha. It's hard because I sit in that chair sometimes and I'm like, Martha is rolling through my head thinking, it's going to go long. How am I going to transition? What's the first word I'm going to say? How am I? And, And praise God for the guy that's praying for me. I just want you to be Mary. Be Mary and sit at the feet of Jesus and listen. Praise God for that. We, Marthas, don't naturally find ourselves at the feet of Jesus until everything is in order, do we? Everything must be in order first. And there is a push and a pull to the resting at the feet of Jesus. Look at verse 41. But the Lord said, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, 
you were anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary chose to make Jesus the priority in her life, accepting the truth of who he was, who he is, and determining that he would have lordship over her life. That's what Mary chose. When you hear Jesus saying to her, Martha, Martha, what do you hear? Do you hear a harsh rebuke or do you hear a gentle correction? Because here, here's, here's what the Martha hears. Freaking Martha, get your act together and choose the right thing. That's what Martha hears. Come on, you have it out of order. I don't know how Martha heard this, but this is the way Jesus intended it. It was not a harsh rebuke, it was a gentle correction. There are things that push us to the feet of Jesus And they're the very anxieties and they're the very troubles that God permits to come into our lives that push us to the feet of Jesus. And then there's those things that pull us and draw us to the feet of Jesus. Listen to this. This is the way I believe it came out of Jesus' mouth when he said, Martha, Martha. I wonder if this is what she heard. A tone of gentle correction saying something like this. Isaiah 43. But now, this is what I'm saying to you, Martha. Fear not, for I have redeemed you I have called you by name, Martha, Martha. You are mine. You are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. If that's not how Martha heard it, she should have. If you are Martha, that's how you should listen to the words of your Savior, calling your name, Martha, Martha. I believe he intended for her to hear this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Settle down, Martha. Just settle down. If you come to me, I will give you rest from all of your anxieties. I will give you rest from all of your worries, from all of your troubles. If you sit at my feet, the distractions will fall away and you will see what is absolutely and most important. I wonder if he intended for her to hear him say, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. And I believe he intended for her to hear Psalm 16 as well. I have made known to you the path of my life or path of life. In my presence, there is fullness of joy. At my right hand are pleasures forevermore. I would suppose that each one of us has some level of Martha-like tendencies in our lives. There are some whose hearts literally palpitate, skip beats, 
beat really hard, race as a result of things not being in order. But here's the challenge to everyone in the moments of our Martha-like tendencies and expressions. It's time to give a spot at the feet of Jesus for our chair. We would simply sit at his feet and rest and know that he has chosen us to place us there and bring us into everlasting relationship with him. That no, that no anxiety and no trouble can take away from us. So the challenge to you today is when are the, thing, when are the times, what are the things that demand your attention over giving a spot at the feet of Jesus? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you and um, I think about this amazing account. Lord, forgive us, forgive me for responding to you like Martha did. Lord, may we not be found guilty of challenging you of pointing the finger. May we receive the correction that you bring. Thank you so much, Lord, for giving us a spot at your feet, for drawing us into everlasting relationship with you. And I pray now, Lord, that you would pour your spirit out on us and that you would open our minds and our hearts to receive this magnificent word. In Jesus' name, amen.